This podcast is sponsored by Inside Out Group, the specialists in high-risk and challenging filming and time-lapse, covering health and safety videos for rail, construction and infrastructure projects nationwide. And we're live. Welcome to this week, Safer Than Your Average. On the show this week, we have Martin. Martin, if you just want to come in and give us a little bit of an introduction to yourself. Hi there, Martin Wilshire. I'm the Health and Safety Director for Multiplex Construction. Um, and if you want to commit to watching this, here's the story uh, of an ex-RAF policeman who ended up as Multiplex's Health and Safety Director and actually got on an IOSH podcast with Blair Boyd. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> Thanks, Martin. So let's go right back to the beginning. Tell us a little bit about your early life, where you grew up. So um, I grew up as a, as a forces child. So uh, my father was, was in the RAF um, and I grew up in the Cotswolds in a little town called Whitney, um, which is just west of uh, Oxford. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we did a lot of moving around. So so my father was, was posted to... Uh, RAF Waddington and Lincolnshire in the in the early 70s mm-hmm. and uh, some some early memories of that was I think we, we went there in 1976 and the following year it was the Queen's Jubilee so the Queen came we had the street party for 1977 and we were at the height of the Cold War at that time so our our married quarter was two doors down from the air raid siren on the end of a big telegraph pole so mm-hmm. and they and in back in those days we were on what you call quick uh, quick reaction alert basically which meant that you had to get planes up in the air because the Vulcan bombers were um, were part of the V force and obviously that was a that was a nuclear deterrent um, yeah. and we had a strike capability so so I would wake up sometimes three o'clock in the morning as a sort of six year old boy um, to the sound of an air raid siren and my father thundering down the stairs and and going out to work and then hearing. You know, Rolls Royce Olympus engines of, of of Vulcans thundering down the runway, which was, you know, it's quite uh, stirring, potent stuff for a mm-hmm. six year old. And 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 there was no way when 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 you know when you'd ask your parents what was going on, they couldn't sugarcoat that stuff. You know, yeah. so I grew up pretty quickly knowing about you know the world and <laughs> and what was going on. But mm-hmm. uh, no, it was a very sort of very sort of potent mix and. A lot of a lot of my friends, uh, I think, who lived at, lived there around that time, and, and in the RAF, ended up uh, joining up at this, uh, later in life as well. Yeah, yeah. So if we move forward to your first role, then Martin, was it straight into the RAF from school? Uh, yeah, it was. It was really. Um, it's sort of it. It. Um, I, I'd, I'd been in the air cadets and, and what have you, and then I went to join the RAF as an officer. Uh, as a direct entrant officer, so I, I studied hard and eventually applied for the officer and air crew selection. I, mm-hmm. I came fourth out of 45 at the age of 18, and they said reapply in two years. So I did exactly the opposite, and I went and joined in the ranks. Um, started to get my experience from there. Really, I went from sixth form college. Um, sort of didn't do very well in my A levels because I was having a bit too much of a good time at the, at the time. Went into the ranks and then um, uh, ended up going through my military training. And uh, ended up at RAF Bryce Norton as as my first first posting, um, mm-hmm. and there was uh, it was an eye opener. It was an eye opener. It, it was because it was the major trooping centre for the UK and and still is um, to all parts of the globe. Very, it's a very very big base. Um, but in other scenarios, you have to be a team team builder. So mm-hmm. so so if you are particularly in our role, part of our role was to you know, uh, sort of lead and guide the station guard force. So the station guard force would be made up of aircraft mechanics and 
RF regiment gunners and you know MT you know MT drivers and all sorts of things and they would all be they would all be put together for seven days on their annual or biannual um, tour of duty on on guard duty on days or nights so there, there was the full the you needed to unpack your foot and learn what your full range of interpersonal skills were from 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 the from the get go to make sure you didn't end up with your face caved in first of all <laughs> because you learned there was a way to talk to people um <laughs> and a way not to talk to people um and there was definitely a way to deal with uh, difficult situations which there was a quicker way of diffusing things sensibly than being more confrontational and more aggressive which would only send everybody upwards into you know into into the red mist and and it would just get worse and worse some situations that was just going to happen you know i got kicked across various tables and you know had uh, had chairs you know wrapped around the head a few times and what have you um but uh, Bryce was a was a, an interesting place because you it was a melting pot an absolute yeah. melting pot so we had you know we had uh, and we i think we i think they still do have um yeah, so it makes a it, <laughs> it's a it's a hell of a, a hell of a place on a on a on a good night, as they say. So you know, we had lots and lots of people play there for us. You know, in the, back in the day, we had Bernard Manning, we had Chubby Brown, we had Chaz and Dave, and Cannon and Ball. Um, mm. And I have a little story about about those guys uh, because obviously we lost uh, Bobby Ball uh, recently. The nation lost Bobby Ball recently, and may he rest in peace. Um, but I I met him. Um, on the gate at RAF Rise Norton, they we had a double bill. So uh, Cannon and Ball and Chaz and Dave were playing at the Spotlight Club, and Chaz and Dave um, drove into the gate, and, and the gate at Bryce was was had just been sort of um, had just been uh, refurbished and just been uh, reconstructed, really. So there was a big big search lanes and lots of parking and everything, and they Chaz and Dave's uh, car came round, and there was me and my mate Jeff. And we were both stood there just watching there. We were there to sort of escort them in and um, just watching them come in. And Chaz and Dave were as nice as pie, ever so, ever so polite, you know, just parked up quietly, walked in and said, yeah, you know, we're, we're Chaz and Dave. We're one of the acts that's on tonight. Like they had to explain themselves, like nobody know who they were. And everybody's yeah. going, oh, it's Chaz and Dave, look, they're coming in. Um, so so they, they were no trouble at all. And then we waited about 10, 15 minutes and we're going, cannibal are cutting it fine, aren't they? And then the next thing you see is a car sort of screaming in towards the gate. Bear in mind, you've got armed guards at the gate, heavily armed guards. You know, this is this is around about the time of the first Gulf War as well. Yeah. So so we're 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 an active station and uh, the car comes down the down the search lane and it turns side on to come in. And you can see Bobby Ball hanging out the window, making the shape of a gun, going, get down, you bastards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And Jeff's, Jeff's just waving his hands like this. He's just going like this. And I'm starting to wave my hands like that. I'm just doing the slow down signal and all that stuff anyway. So um, so anyway, the car pulls up and um, they don't get out. And we walk over to the vehicle and, and my mate Jeff, he starts to put it on a little bit. So he walks over to them and he says, uh, he says, uh, evening gentlemen, what do you think you're playing at? And he went, you what, mate? You're right. Like that. I said, you're right. He said, no, what, what do you think you're playing at? He says, you've got armed guards here. He could have taken you out. And he said, it's us. It's us. It's cannon and ball. It's us. It's cannon and ball. And he said, yeah, I, you know, I don't care about that, mate. <laughs> <He's going on. laughs> he said, I, I don't care about that. He said, uh, that's uh, armed guards there. You could have got yourself killed. Just remember that, okay? And they, so they went, yeah, all right, yeah. Sorry, mate. Anyway, uh, are you going to let us in then? And uh, Jeff turns around and goes, no, you've got to go in there and you've got to get a pass. And he said, and he turns around, Bobby Ball looks at him and he said, 
I bet Chaz and Dave didn't have to get a pass. And Jeff just turned around and he went, no, they didn't, because they're good. <laughs> and fair play, fair play. Bobby Ball was 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 fabulous. He was absolutely fabulous. He just cracked up. He cracked up. He got out of the car, and he basically shook her hands, and they both went in and they got a pass. And then Jeff turned around to her and went, "They did get a pass, really." So uh, yeah, that was good. That was really really good fun. Good fun. Yeah. But there was loads of. I mean, I mean, it was a, it was a real education. You know, being being there particularly. Um, you know in the in the early 90s you know we had there were there were lots of things happening um and our, and so many people used to come through there so we used to the Falklands obviously was a uh, was brides was you know one of the main um trooping centers for the Falklands as well so one of the roles that we used to play uh, down there was um we used to do all the air transport security so we used to operate the the rapid scan x-ray machines we used to do the you know the metal detector arches and we used to do the bag searches and all of that stuff all the air all the aviation safety stuff that was required we used to, we used to do all of that and uh you'd get various people come through <clears throat> and people would ask you to sort of some of the troops would would ask you to play tricks on their sergeant major because <laughs> they planted something in their bag or something like that so uh, to get to a, a full screw corporal really in the, in the RAF um would take typically take people depending on which trade you were in would take you roughly sort of sort of seven or eight years generally speaking i sort of got there in six um mm. and um and it was it, it was it was a sort of um you know it's not it's not it's not it's not a difficult it's you've got to put the work in to be promoted but at the same time it's something whereby you're still you're still a very junior rank and I basically got uh, 12 months in the in the investigations office there, which was where I where I wanted my career to go. Actually, I wanted to become a, an investigator, a criminal investigator, rather mm -hmm. than um, do the counterintelligence uh, sort of security stuff, really. So so that was where it was headed for me. Um, and that's really where, you know, I kind of um, I sort of honed my skills, you know, carrying out investigations, even though the criminal investigations, you can equate yeah. that to. To health and safety and to to incident investigations and um it's one of the things i you know i i i, st I sort of pride myself on um the level of investigative work that i've done since yeah. since i've come into health and safety particularly and and how i've gone about doing that and how it's actually stood me in really good stead for doing but you know interviewing witnesses is a is a, is a skill it's a real yeah. skill yeah. it's a real skill and um it, it's something you have to learn and, and there's no better um grounding for that than them being you know a, a former police uh, police officer or being in the in the military police uh, of any police any military police service really mm. yeah i kind of forgot your question there what was it you asked me <laughs> <laughs> so how long did you serve in the rdf so yeah so i'm sorry i was just talking about the 10 year thing and it and it, it, and it was basically a, a, a you when you get promoted you sign up for for an additional length of time so mm -hmm. i signed to do 22 years um at that sort of six year point um, and then very quickly after that, um, some defense cuts started happening um, and th those opportunities to specialize, et cetera, started to disappear or started to shrink significantly. Yeah. And um, I'd, I'd started thinking I was offered my commission um, by my then boss, who, who sadly um, was, was killed later that year in a, in a, in a, in a road traffic accident. Um, but um, he'd offered me he basically offered me my commission. Yeah, absolutely. How did you find the transition out of the military and the civilian life again? Such a long time, ten years. To yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was at 
the main culture shock was going from uh, sort of, I mean, we were kind of, uh, as, as police, we were sort of used to people, you know, get, trying to give us a bit of abuse and all that sort of stuff. And, and because it was actually insubordination was, a, was an offence, you know, where you could, you could lift people for that. I went from the RAF and um, I got recruited, first of all, to do, while I was on leave. I was, luckily, I was still being paid by the RAF for that final three months. <clears throat> but I went and did some work with an insulation company, that what insulation contractor that I would end up uh, in a job with. And I was just I was trying to sell insulation for them for three months and they gave me pretty much saturated. But it was a friend of a friend who was on my opposite shift in the RAF. His wife worked as a contracts manager for that company. I then went and worked for that company. And I think the first the first month I was selling insulation, I think I made about 40 pounds. I think <laughs> that was was not a career for me, to be fair. You know, it was a hard sell in these small villages in the middle of uh, Norfolk. You know, it was very, very tough where there is nowhere to put any insulation in your house anyway. So um, so so that was a challenge. Um, but yeah, actually, then going from that to working as a, a roving supervisor for installation teams, you know, across three counties, the challenge there was, you know, the people who employed you thought, oh, he's going to be great. He's going to really whip them into shape. He's going to, you know, do this and go out there and be barking at them and doing all this sort of stuff. Couldn't be further from the truth. I was mm -hmm. actually talking to them. I was actually talking to them, communicating with them, getting to know them, building a relationship, you know, um, and, you know, that helped. That helped in, enormously with uh, with what would later happen, which I was I would become their contracts manager uh, in the mm -hmm. end. Um, and I ran the teams and I had a really good time for, for five years there. Um, and I think... It was, a, it was at that point where I started to get, I think when you, you know, with regards to your question, you, you have enormous, when you come out of the forces, you have, you're very proud, you know, and you see that in, in every veteran that, that, that comes out, they still carry the pride with them. And it's, yeah. it's, the, it's the, pr the personal pride and, and the standards uh, that they have, you know, which, um, which drives you, which drives you to, um, you know, drives, drives you on, drives you further, if you like. Um, and that, that was me really in, in that role. Um, and I suppose it was, it, it, the transition wasn't that difficult for me. It, it wasn't that difficult for me. I think I just had to, you know, I had to adapt. I, I don't know whether it's because, you know, I used to deal with a lot of um, civilians in my job anyway, and we used to do a lot of relationship building with local communities and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. We weren't, you know, we weren't secular. You know, we weren't away from the public for long periods of time which is possibly how, you know, other units might be. They, they might be out in the field for long periods of time. They may be in theatre, in operational theatre for long periods of time and away from any kind of public, which means you are only used to interacting with other service personnel. And, yeah. and there is a very different way of communicating and thinking and the humour is different. And, you know, every aspect of life is, is slightly different. Uh, mm -hmm. which makes that transition for others maybe 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 more difficult maybe more difficult but for me it wasn't it wasn't a hugely difficult transition mm -hmm. yeah. yeah so around 2004 you were contracts manager of the installation so yeah 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 absolutely so so uh, yeah we sort and with that pride thing with, with being that contracts manager I, I had a great mentor um mm -hmm. a guy called Jim Campbell um who was an ex uh section engineer for AMEC he was mm -hmm. a civil engineer um and he was my senior contracts manager and he taught me, I think he brought me through. I think he, he taught me the ways of, you know, working in a civilian organization and, you know, how to do this and how to do that. And, and, and certainly about construction, certainly uh, around the safety side of things. 
um, because having done, you know, I was sort I was volunteered for a uh, for a, a managing safety course when I was in the RAF in my last year because yep. there was nobody else who really wanted to do it. So they went, uh, right, you're on a managing safety course. Uh, get up there. I went, a what? And they went, a managing safety course. And I went, right, okay. So, uh, so I went, I went on that when I was in the air force. And then, so I've been dealing with, you know, potential, potential, you know, aggravated assault case. And the next minute, I'm doing a final assessment in a welding shop, looking around, not really knowing much about anything. You know, I'm used to, you know, people with broken noses and you know, glass hanging out their face and stuff like that. And now I'm dealing mm-hmm. with welding gear. It's, uh, it, it was, it was a different, a different thing. Anyway, back to contracts manager sort of in the two, in the early 2000s. And, and one of the things that, that started to happen was um, we would get a lot of appointments cancelled or a lot of appointments blown out by the installers because if they were going to, dom- we used to do domestic properties, we used to do, uh, we also used to do council contracts. So we used to do large blocks of flats, cherry pickers, all of that stuff. Um, you know, and we also used to do domestic properties as well. So we used to do cavity wall insulation and, um, and loft insulation, all that stuff for, for, for domestic properties. And all of a sudden there was a, you know, there, 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 was, there were phone calls from the people who'd stayed in all day to have this work done. They couldn't have it done because the surveyor hadn't, you know, identified that there was a whacking great conservatory on the back and the guys, you know, were going to have to stand on it. To, to drill the walls above the conservatory and all of a sudden this was obviously a significant problem the biggest problem was is they were actually cracking on and standing on the conservatory roofs mm-hmm. doing it and there were people sat in the conservatory when they were doing it sometimes as well so so that was a real problem for me and obviously I was receiving all of all of the grief from all of the tenants and I'm a proud ex-serviceman thinking I don't let people down it doesn't happen on my watch etc cetera, etc cetera. so I had mm-hmm. to find a way to fix it now I could have just got angry and 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 chuck stuff around and everything but but i didn't um i had uh, a really good relationship with a lad called uh, nick game um who was the health and safety officer as they were known at the time um uh, with, with that particular company and um he and i were talking about it and and together you know we sort of came up with the solution which was we need to teach the surveyors how to survey properties for access problems as well as for the size of the walls what type of material and how much we're going to charge for it because then mm. we could then we could build the we could build the uh, cost of the access into the price yeah. then we would be basically looking after the guys we would be more efficient etc cetera, etc cetera. so we did we designed a you know it was the first thing i did of any kind of health and safety was i designed this training program um with nick's help um called surveying for safety and you know we, we brought all the surveyors in we actually created a booklet of house types and, you know, you know, the, the, the provided the a little booklet with access solutions for different types of outbuilding and what have you, which which I'd put together um, and we trained it and we got, you know, an uplift in productivity, you know, our, you know, our, our departmental turnover increased, you know, mm-hmm. because of the fact that and, and safety was better, you know, safety was better. We still needed to get out there and make sure it was supervised and the, and the behaviours were, you know, challenging because there, there was no real, there was no real, in a, in, a, in a business of that size, there was no real discussion about safety. There was no, re- at that time, there was no real culture, as it were. It was just, guys, I know how to do this. I've been doing this for 15 years, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just going to crack on with it. I don't need your towers. I don't need this. But again, that was, that was another challenge in terms of, you know, talking to the teams, uh, getting them on board, saying, look, you know, the next thing we had to fix was paying them. Yeah. Because we weren't paying them. We were paying them the same the same rate for you know whether they put the access equipment up or not so then mm-hmm. we had to we had to then look at that and say look if we want them to put the access equipment up we've got to pay them 
you know, the rate for putting the access equipment up as well, and so on and so forth. So that was a really, really good learning curve, actually. And it was through through that sort of there was a five year period in all when when I'd gone from doing the supervision into the contracts management and we'd started changing the way we do things like this. Um, yeah. that, that Nick turned around to me one day and he said, I suppose you want my job, dear. <laughs> and I said, do you know what? And he said, do you know what? He said, you should consider it because he said, you're good at it. You're, you're just good at it. You can just see you could, you're good with people. And you can just see what's you can see what what's what needs to be done. Um, and so, you know, I had a bit of a think about it and then sort of took his advice. So eventually took the Nibosh, you know, mm -hmm. around about 2005, I, I, I took my Nibosh general um, and then sort of went out looking for, you know, just just went out looking for a health and safety role, you know, a specific health and safety role. Mm -hmm. um, and I had a I had a I had a bad experience, um, you know, because I went and did I went and got a bit of a contract job, first of all, being a coordinator for a ticket um, uh, for a rail franchise for installing ticket machines. Mm -hmm. um, and I was, you know, I was I was working with a team who were run by effectively a sole trader, if you like. So he was basically a guy on his own who recruited people as a, as a contractor. Yeah. Um, and we, I think that was with, with Alfred McAlpine at the time, actually. And it lasted five weeks and then the contract was terminated. So mm -hmm. the guy just walked in one day and said, contract terminated for whatever, I didn't know what, for what reason, but it was, they'd, they'd then awarded the contract to a big, a big player. And uh, for the first time in my life, I was unemployed. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, that was a bit, I was a bit shell-shocked. So I walked out um, the front of the office and, um, you know, rang uh, Karen, uh, who's my now wife, and, and just said, I haven't got a job. And, uh, and she went, oh my God, what, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to have to do what, what, I, what I need to do. I said, I'm just not used to this. I've never, I've never been unemployed, you know, yeah. before. So, uh, so I sort of frantically, you know, fired my CV out to various, various people. Um, and uh, got a call from uh, a company called the Health and Safety People, you know, a consultancy mm -hmm. called the Health and Safety People, THSP as they're now known. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, um, and got an interview with a guy called Michael Rimmer, who mm -hmm. uh, is an ex-Royal Engineers Warrant Officer, specialised in demolition and plant. He's a plant instructor as well. Yep. Very uh, charismatic guy. Um, still around. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't, he's not with THSP anymore, but he's, he's still around. He was the consultant director. And he gave me a chance, you know, he gave, he gave me a chance. And, um, and um, sort of, we, we started off, I started off being sort of uh, chaperoned by a lad called Chris Ivey, who's now the consultant director. He's, and he does, he's quite well known in the industry. He's got a lot of um, SMEs as clients. He, he, you know, I have to name check it, uh, Chris because he does a phenomenal job with uh, the building mental health uh, you know, charter and, and we're yeah. spreading the mental health message um, through the SMEs and supporting them. He is he is a fabulous guy. He mm -hmm. really is. He's, a, he's an absolute diamond. And he was another again, another mentor to me when I when I taught me the, the ways of, you know, being a consultant. Um, he is an asbestos specialist. And, uh, you know, we went out and did a, did a little bit of work, uh, first of all. And then the call came in um, and I was put on Wembley Stadium. Um, I was given to Hollandia Structures um to uh, to be their health and safety advisor still working for thsp as a consultant but but resident on site at wembley stadium for that um for nearly best part of nearly two years actually mm -hmm. um yeah and and that was that another a complete another learning curve you know a, a massive learning curve you know you've had everybody there you know you had you had you had 
an international workforce, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a multinational workforce. You had Multiplex uh, as the principal contractor, yeah. you and you had uh, the unions. Yeah, you had mm-hmm. lots and lots of unions, you know, very active. And you know, on, I, I will always remember walking through the turnstile on my first day and walking down, you know, the the, the concourse to the multiplex offices and on the way down there was convener's cabin convener's cabin convener's cabin convener's cabin as you walk past all of them to go to go onto the stadium um and you sort of learn it's a different environment a very different environment and it was a a, it was another complete learning curve uh, for me certainly Mm -hmm. um but 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 fabulous yeah really really a really really interesting a couple of years and and again all of these things um they all uh become you know part of that patchwork that the patchwork quilt that develops who you are you mm-hmm. know over time all of the, all of these things develop who you are as a person and who you are as a professional um mm-hmm. uh, and they are they're great learning curves they, they, they really are yeah yeah okay so that was your your kind of foray into that so can you take us through the rest of the steps in your career then that that led you to multiplex so okay, <laughs> so it's quite fortuitous, really, because I, I, I formed a few relationships with Multiplex when I was working on uh, Wembley Stadium, and, and I always sort of had a an inkling of uh, of it was it was that sort of level of contractor that I you know I aspired to work for you know eventually, and um, and I was sort of very early on. I remember you know uh, Jim Senior, who who was my predecessor at, at Multiplex. He was um, the the lead health and safety manager for Multiplex. Uh, on the Wembley Stadium project, you know, and I, I remember actually writing to him very early on um, mm. to uh, to see if he would be interested in taking me on at any point in the future. And um, you know, as as was sort of usual with Jim, you didn't really hear anything, but you sort of knew it was in the back of his mind somewhere. Um, and also, Ashley Muldoon, who was our chief executive, was also the project director at, at that point um, for, for for Wembley Stadium. Ash has moved on from the multiplex business now, but uh, but he was he was there, um, and, and various other people actually. Um, so, Wembley Stadium came to an end, um, uh, and I, I moved back to consultancy, and you know did some did some work with with some with some smaller contractors uh, with a bit of. A little bit of call center pat testing thrown in for good measure, something I'd never really want to go back to, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You got three floors and 800 workstations to get through in three days. Thanks very much. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's really good. Thank you. Uh, no disrespect to pat test, any pat testers out there, but it's just not for me. You know, it's not my, it's not my bag. So, um, yeah, absolutely. So, um, it was, uh, and it was actually during some of that consultancy work that I, um went and uh, i was covering uh, some projects for john sisk mm-hmm. uh so so i ended up uh i found out there was a vacancy at, at sisk for a for a health and safety uh, manager health and safety advisor as it were and um you know i, I spoke to the site manager on on the job this job at particularly job at paddington and mm-hmm. um next thing i'm getting called up for an interview etc and um yeah we, we had the interview um and the next thing you know, I got the call, and 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 that was my that was my next you know my next adventure, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was good. That was good. The, the nice company, you know, nice company, uh, family-run business, um, mm-hmm. you know, good sort of tight-knit groups of of side teams that knew each other very well. Um, everybody knew everybody in the company. It was very it was a very nice place to work, and there was lots of opportunity to you know to improve. You know, they mm-hmm. were a 
you know, they were a good uh, mid-tier contractor. You know, um, been in the, they'd been in in the UK for 25 years. They'd been in Ireland for over 150 years. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and we were we were sort of like the junior the junior element of the business. But mm-hmm. there were some great people there, and I, I you know I, I've thoroughly enjoyed my time there. So that was that was eight eight years or so um, there, and then sort of gradually I was looking more towards you know looking outwards, thinking you know what what's next really, what what's going to happen, and then uh one day i got i got the call from uh, multiplex from jim senior funnily enough and mm-hmm. uh asked me if i was interested in coming over to uh, multiplex so that was the next step that was the next step so i joined multiplex in 2015 mm-hmm. and um and went from there um you know started i I'd, I'd, I'd gone from being a regional uh health and safety manager to going back onto a project and it was a mm-hmm. conscious decision really i just thought you know what i could just do with you know, getting getting back into you know a project based environment because I I hadn't really had a project based environment since I'd been on projects every single day, but mm-hmm. I hadn't had a project of my own to call my own, yeah. to you know to 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 sort of to run in in my way with with the project director. So it was exciting to get into that, and particularly with the scale of the work that Multiplex do, yeah, that was very exciting as well. I was very, I was excited by that because we we do some very complex you know um, structures that mm-hmm. uh, it's exciting stuff. You know, it is, and I'm I'm very excited and very proud uh, to be at Multiplex now. And it was, you know, it was just a natural uh, way of things that sort of I, you know, from 2015, I sort of, you know, made my way from working on uh, one particular project, uh, ended up probably the pinnacle of my career for me in in terms of projects was the 22 Bishopsgate project, yeah. which is which is the second tallest building in Europe right now. Mm-hmm. Um, won't be for long, obviously, but um, but uh, it's a uh, it's on the north side of the Thames, so it's technically taller than the Shard because it's, you know, <laughs> the ground is higher, you know. So, but, you know, but uh, there we go. But uh, that that was a, a fabulous experience. That was a truly fabulous experience. You know, we had some, we, we, you know, we had some trials and tribulations on there. Um, it was a very, it was a very long job because it, it sort of kicked off as another project. Back in 2008, it was known as the Pinnacle then we had the financial crash and then, you know, things, uh, things changed. And eventually, um, you know, we, we got back on it, I think in 2016, I think is when we, when we got back into it, as it was at that point as 22 Bishopsgate. So uh, went over there sort of um, a couple of years ago, um, worked with a fabulous team and it really was a great experience. And it was a real opportunity to really, you know, to to put together all of the learning that I'd that, that I'd gathered over my years, you know, working through construction, working from those early days as a as a contract supervisor at the insulation company, all the way through that that career, to really, you know, put everything into this project to 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 get people to feel, you know, really safe, really respected, um, you know, really appreciated and valued, noticed, listened to, trusted and relied upon um you know every worker on that job to feel that way um and i knew that that would improve the performance you know mm-hmm. more than anything else more than anything else i was reading somebody's website today and there was a quote on there that said um culture eats strategy for breakfast it was some, some famous some famous phrase by drucker i think it is that, that said yeah. that and i thought i thought yeah uh, well do you know what it does um, you know, it's it's kind of a, it's like a bit of a flippant line, I think, to, to some degree. But because uh, you do need both, 
Um, yeah. But but actually, actually, um, I've always said the same thing. You know, we spend historically we've spent so much time looking over the heads of the workforce and looking at the balance sheet and the program on the wall at the back of the room um, and ignoring the soft squidgy things in front of us that actually build the thing. Um, yeah. And actually, you know, there is an old phrase which says the score takes care of itself if you do everything else right. Um, and if you do invest in, in, in the people that are building your job, truly invest in them, truly take an interest in them, truly engage with them, you know, mm -hmm. properly, properly get, um, you know, get the relationship going with them so that you can, they will feel comfortable, they will feel transparent, they do not bat an eyelid at coming to you and telling you things that, that trouble them, things that are worrying them, things that are in their way, things that are a problem. And in doing that, you foster a culture of community on a project. And if you can foster a culture of community on a project, then people will help each other out. And I don't mean in a, there's no method statement for this, but we're helping each out any, anyway. I mean, just, can you just shift this, mate? Because, you know, I need to get over there. That's all right. Oh, I met you the other week at that thing we did for, for the Black Hats and all of that stuff. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's self-generating and it, it perpetuates itself. And in all honesty, that is that is the reason why I think we delivered 22 Bishops Gate, you know, as safely as we did. We went mm -hmm. above and beyond. We went above and beyond. We we wanted to give them the, the best, the greatest facilities that we could. You know, mm -hmm. we put we put a barbers in there. You know, we put yeah. a barbers in there. We put a gym in there. We did all of that stuff. Um, and I know that that's probably been done elsewhere as well. Um, but uh, interestingly, we had a um, we had a visit from another company that's owned by Brookfield. Uh, mm -hmm. Brookfield Asset Management and they're called Turner Construction and they're, they're in the States um, mm -hmm. and they do some huge jobs in New York uh, and it was interesting because they came over to see us and we showed them the barber shop uh, where we had the, the barber and the, the apprentice it was part of our um, our section 106 agreement for, uh, for, for communities um, to have a, we had an apprentice in there and a, and a barber as well and they, they were blown away by that absolutely blown away mm -hmm. and um, it was interesting on LinkedIn about a year later, I saw one of their projects in New York and there were guys sitting there waiting to get their hair cut, you know? And I just thought that's just absolutely brilliant. That's so good, yeah. you know? I just thought that's fantastic. That really is, uh, you know, people grasping the nettle to just, you know, do that and, and, and make that difference and provide people with an environment where, yeah, it might be a construction site, but, you know, why does it have to be, why does it have to be brutal and rough and ready? Why does it, you know, why does there have to be, you know, a slippery floor, mud on the floor? Why does there have to, but why does that have to be there? Yeah. You know, why can't, you know, why can't you have, you know, plants in the site office? Why can't you, you know, why can't you do that? You mm. know, that kind of thing. So, so it's, it's about pushing the boundaries and really providing the best place to work that you can. And that's yeah. really been my, that's really been my agenda and will be my agenda for, you know, for as long as I do this job, you know. Yeah, the, the multiplex way of things isn't it yeah abso absolutely I'm, I'm obviously i'm obviously working you know and representing a, an organization that already you know places a lot of emphasis on that anyway but it's just taking it probably from there just you know up to there really um yeah. and we want everybody that, that works on our projects to just feel absolutely welcome and comfortable they want to they want to actually they want to come to work that's the most important thing they want to come to work yeah. they therefore want to go out onto the floors and they want to do you know the best that they can do um and if we do that then we improve you know engaging you know the right behaviors becomes much more straightforward yeah. it become it becomes more learned behavior um rather than things you have to tell people to do and sheep dip them into behavioral safety and all of that stuff um and and it really is just about the basics of treating people well really well 
you know, yeah, uh, you know, all of those things. Definitely. I still refer back to some of my early career working on a multiplex project in Glasgow. Yeah. I saw innovations there that I still don't see in construction sites to this mm. day. You know, some yeah. of the I saw there, I was like, wow, the union, the way that the union were engaged, yeah. the union gave yeah. the training budget that they could allocate training to develop people on the project, yeah. paid yeah. for by the principal contractor. Yeah. That First time I'd ever seen that. So the union guys all love the principal contractor. They're fantastic. And the, the union members feel like they're getting value for yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think do you know what though? I think even even thinking back to Wembley Stadium, you know, um, you know, I wasn't I wasn't overly familiar with dealing with unions, obviously coming from the forces particularly. I wasn't overly familiar with dealing with the unions at all. The experiences that I had on a multiplex project and some of the project team that I was working with had been out to visit the project that I had worked on. Yeah. Before I worked with that business and they were saying, Oh, it was great. And we were asking them what what makes you different? <laughs> and they were saying, Well, take a look around the site. What do you see here that's different? Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, a hot food canteen on site that people were being well looked after. You had huge big locker rooms with showers and the lockers set out so that you could have your clean gear in one locker and your dirty PPE in the other one and yeah. washing facilities and all that yeah. kind of stuff. That yeah. was one of the first projects that I saw that on um, yeah. way back in the day. And it yeah. was one that really set me up. I still refer to some of the experiences I had yeah. there now. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it, it is, and it's, it is about the devil really is in the detail with those things, you know, yeah. and, you know, certainly with building 22 Bishops Gate as well, the, 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 the next level for us is that uh, I think we, you know, the, the 22 Bishops Gate project was one of the first buildings to, to have to satisfy the international well standard yeah. okay, for, for a building that's, that's built for well-being predominantly. And, um, and, We've taken that and we've taken that and put that into um, what we call our better workspaces um, standard. So that is that is the standard that we create site offices and, and accommodation for now is mm -hmm. there is a standard to, to build them to. And that yeah. standard is certificated by a sustainability team. Mm -hmm. So you've got all the safety aspects in there, but you've got all the sustainability aspects yeah. in there as well. So, you know, you get either a four star or a five star, uh, you know, uh, amenities space because you've got plants, you've got, as you say, you've got two types of changing facility, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and all, all, the, all the things that go with it, which is, you know, you've got, you know, not on every project, we, but we just encourage people to have a well-being space, a well-being room um, on our Chelsea Barracks um, project. You know, we set up, a, you know, a calm area, which was basically a garden. So it was a little a little garden, a walled garden for people where you could mm -hmm. just go and sit and you could just have a nice place to just pause and reflect uh, and just do what you want, just look at your phone, whatever it is you want to do, just chill out a bit. And, and, and that, that for me is, is, is what it's all about, actually. It's, it's, yes, you go and do your work, but between, you know, when you take a break, you want to go somewhere which isn't sleeping in the, in the locker room, in the changing room. You know, it's not sleeping, it's not, it's not sitting in a noisy canteen where people haven't got enough room to walk past you you know, in, on the aisles and they're bumping your shoulder every five minutes. It's absolutely not about that. It's not about cramming people in, you know, mm -hmm. like livestock into an area. It's about where would you want to work, Mr. Manager? You know, if when you get out of bed in the morning and you get into your into your site office, you know, I bet you're not, um, you know, struggling for space, you know, the way some of the guys on the canteen are. 
So mm. let's look at it from that side and say, what would you want? What would you, what would you want to, where would you want to work? You know, and, yeah. and that, that's how we got to think, you know, and, and for me, it's about breaking down the, the old attitudes of there's management and there's workforce because we yeah. are, we're doing it together. Yeah. You know, team delivery. Yeah. We we deliver as a team. You know, it's it's one team for us, um, and and giving people the right facilities, giving people the best facilities we can give them. Uh, you know, it speaks volumes in that respect. You know, it really does. It really does. And we get we get really good feedback. We get really good feedback. And we've you know we've stopped putting management teams in basements as well. Mm-hmm. You know, because how on earth can you spend you know two years of your life? You know, going to work with no natural light every single day, with God knows what flowing flying around in the air. You know, yeah. um, that's just not the way to build a thriving, you know, humming, buzzing team of people mm-hmm. who are, you know, who are charged up, wanting to give the best every day. That is the absolute opposite. You know, you put plants down there, they die. You know, that's so. So people are not far behind, right? So, <laughs> so if we move on a little bit, Martin, can you tell us a little bit more about your role that you're in now? What a kind of typical day looks like? How you set yourself up for the day? Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> so at the moment, the day pretty looks pretty much like COVID, yeah. uh, quite for quite a lot of the day, to be honest. But uh, typically speaking, in my role as as the health and safety director at, at Multiplex. Uh, a typical day normally starts with, you know, uh, it's a t- at the moment it's a Teams call with my team from around the projects. Um, you know, we just uh, update each other on what's going on. It's a little bit of a, a well-being check as well uh, to mm-hmm. see what's happening. Um, we get, um, you know, the various team members uh, updating people on on what's what. Um, deal deal with anything that that needs to be dealt with or anything that needs to do, be discussed. And if there's any any breakout from that, we can we can break off and. You know, discuss that later on. Then, generally speaking, it's you know, it's it's generally uh, meetings, or it is at, at the moment. There's a little bit of there's a little bit of um, work going on around um, just updating the COVID arrangements and what have you. So, so there's a lot of work around that sort of stuff. Um, then there is a management. There's generally a management call uh, on one of the days. Uh, so there's a management call every day, and that's between our. Europe operations team and actually the exec team as well, which I'm, I sit on both. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a, we have a, a call three times a week and that's with some of the key project leaders as well. So they can tell us yeah. what's going on. They can tell us what's, what, what's happening. So, so that all the other business matters like, you know, cash and, um, and securing, um, you know, se- securing various elements of, of work and what have you, that's all part of the same thing. So we sit on those those meetings. Then there's then there's generally a discussion, some discussion around COVID matters as well. Um, mm-hmm. We're tracking tracking the numbers. We are tracking the uh, we're tracking the rise in London, particularly. Um, yeah. You know, like for example, today I've been on a call with uh, Dr. Chris Pugh of Jura Diamond, and we've been talking about um, you know what else can we do? You know, what 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 else can we do? Everybody's looking for that. You know that 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 next thing. Um, you know we're all worried about um, outbreaks, um, particularly within within the projects. Particularly, we're worried about a loss of productivity because of the outbreaks. We're worried about the risk to people, etc. Uh, and it's just about doing the right thing. You know about making sure that we're doing the right thing and and, and looking for uh, new ways of doing it. So that that takes up a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment, particularly, we've you know we've got the we've got the business improvement plan for 2021. So it's about getting that off the ground. So there's there's other aspects to that as well. So there's, you know, there's another element to our One Life One Team program, which we're designing at the moment for sort of mid 2021. 
uh, which mm -hmm. revolves around engagement and behaviors particularly so we're looking at some aspects of that um, then there's a there's a meeting um, we, we are involved with the HSE on the discovering safety program at the moment so there's a lot mm -hmm. of work going into uh, the BIM risk library at the moment so I'm working with a digital team on the on the BIM risk library um, which is very which is quite interesting you know that's using safety based software to to obviously pin all the hazards and the treatments onto the model particularly and how it's the question is on that is how we can get people uh, to interact with the model how can we get construction teams to actually properly interact with that model and make that risk register work for them and make it live particularly um, and then yeah and then and then it's, it's it's a call around the teams at the moment we're sort of I'm you know we're all staying at home but i'm i'm actually providing support um i'm basing myself a couple of days a week in head office mm -hmm. um because i live in east northamptonshire and actually that the office is in central london so mm -hmm. you know i i'm more comfortable being closer to the projects to be honest with you um and um and obviously that that obviously helps supporting the teams if if they need any support or any help i can actually grab my stuff and and go out to one of the projects and uh, and lend a hand if needs be in terms of what whatever it may be you know if it's looking at things or whatever it may be really so um yeah it's a, it's it's quite a, it's quite a full on day to be honest with you there's lots and lots of uh things to do you know we're running you know we're running a, an ongoing graduate program as well so mm -hmm. there's all, all of those other things there's you know changes to that um that sort of never fails to surprise you in in some way or mm -hmm. uh, you know you uh you you deal with those incidents um and without i'm not going to go into too much detail about them but really i think um when you have a very very serious incident on a project which is life-changing for somebody or worse you know um yeah. um and i haven't i haven't had anything like that in in multiplex um um but in my past sort of career along the line i've i've, I've had i've had those things happen and and some things where people weren't injured but it was it was there were some big things that went wrong um those are generally the biggest challenges um and you kind of you know you always know that when you know you're working with a really sort of solid regional director and 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 you know they they get to that particular site before you do you know and the police are already there type of thing and you're signing in you know they've rung you and they've said i need to sign in through a cordon what do i do and they're the director that's when you know it's really really serious Mm -hmm. you know, and they, they just it's almost like there's a there's a freeze there they don't really know you know what to do that's that's the stuff that's the most challenging really um and it's really difficult for, for everybody to deal with that kind of situation because nothing really prepares you for it mm -hmm. um because everybody is in the same boat the onlookers the, the the witnesses all of those people are uh there's a there's 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 a mixture of um in one particular instance um it was a plant related accident so it was a mobile plant related accident that somebody had mm -hmm. been run over and the animosity, you know, towards the driver and the driver actually, you know, um, didn't see, you know, the person particularly for whatever reason, won't go into detail, but um, dealing with that kind of thing, dealing with then the fallout between the subcontractor and the principal contractor and the, the, the way in which um, you have to sort of finesse those situations, particularly with regards to, you know legal representation from either side and those people getting involved you know i've had some i've had a you know a, an unpleasant experience that that i've learned a lot from you know from from um from where you have you know legal briefs turning up for uh, for example the subcontractor would would openly give you all of their 
you know all of their witnesses and you would take all of their statements and all of that sort of stuff and you try and build those relationships and what have you and then all of a sudden you know a legal brief is appointed for the principal contractor and then they walk in and tell the subcontractor they're not getting anything mm-hmm. you know and then the next thing you know it's it's kind of you know they hit the roof um you know they get very very angry they think yeah. that we've we've sort of we've, yeah. we've, we've duped them into giving us the information etc cetera, etc cetera. um yeah that that was tough that was tough because then what happened was um it was me and and the project team that was involved in that particular um incident that that really were discredited really by mm-hmm. you know by the fact that that had happened uh, we were then not trusted anymore it made yeah. the job of investigating twice as difficult the relationship was gone between us mm-hmm. and the contractor this was a sort of a, a sort of less than halfway through the project you know this was mm-hmm. very very damaging for everybody involved yes. um and it, and it was something where you had to take you just had to take the learning from that you know straight away aside from the learning from the incident itself actually the learning from how you actually deal with a situation like that mm-hmm. um and, and where all parties maintaining the relationship between all parties in doing that um is something that um i have learned a lot from i have learned yeah. a lot from i must admit and so, yes, definitely. Th- those situations are the most challenging. They're probably the most difficult to manage as well. Um, and you do have to, you know, have one eye on, you know, we, t- we talk an awful, awful lot about, um, you know, the positive side of, you know, it, you know, investigating what's good, not just concentrating on the bad all the time. Why do, why do things go well? You know, the engagement side of it, the positivity, et cetera. You've always got to have one eye on that sort of, uh, distant thunder at a picnic uh, at a picnic you know that that kind of stuff because that's what it is mm-hmm. um because it's it's you know it we work in a dangerous industry you know we make it safe but we work in a, a fundamentally dangerous industry yeah and you know we we need to be prepared f- not only for what happens but to be able to deal with all aspects of that yeah uh, one of the one of the things that one of the things that we did as a sort of as a as an outcome of um, the mental health agenda at Multiplex, particularly, is we put together something called um, a critical debrief team. Mm-hmm. So, so, so what that is uh, essentially, we we very sadly had a uh, a so a, a somebody took their own life on one of our projects in in uh, in, in 2018, mm-hmm. um, and they were they were a very well liked. Uh, member of the site team they were a it was a forklift forklift driver um mm-hmm. who'd been working for that company for for years uh and um for them to be able to download what they what they what they'd seen yeah. been through a traumatic incident so from that point we had um we have the assistance of a a, a great um a, a psychotherapist um a guy called gary owen who who runs his own um runs his own um practice up in edinburgh Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I think we came to know him through the Glasgow and and Edinburgh hospitals uh, projects particularly, yeah. um, and you know we were talking with him uh, some years ago, and and he he sort of suggested to us that you know what's a really good idea at that point is you get the main people who are involved um, to base and and you go through a six step process mm-hmm. um, when you talk to the key witnesses um, and. And in that way, you can. There's two things that can come from that. Immediately, people have the opportunity to express what's what's happened, how they feel about it. But you can also then, if if you are if you're given a bit of training, you can then identify the people who then need further support and assistance, the people yeah. who are going to be suffering the most. 
Um, and that's something that we do and, and we run regular updates. I'm part of the, the debriefing team. There's always generally two of us, if anything like that is, is to happen. And we've done it as well for things like resuscitation incidents. You know, mm -hmm. I was I, I actually was the other side of the table um, in 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 2018 myself. Um, uh, was it 2018? It might, might have been earlier. Um, it might have been 2017, actually. Thinking about it, I was involved in, in a resuscitation incident um, mm -hmm. uh, with uh, with a chap who collapsed in in the canteen, and he was he was uh, yeah he was not in a good way, and he just used a defibrillator, etc. And um, afterwards, um, Gary came to the site, and he did this incident debriefing with me. I'd never seen it. I'd never seen it before. I was just a member of the site team, and, and and we hadn't really really seen it, but it really helped. It really helped. It really got people talking. You know, and, and we've used it subsequently on another resuscitation incident that, that's happened, I think, last year. Um, yeah, a bit. I think preparedness, those, those challenges, you know, everybody will. I think anybody watching this who's who's been through something similar or worse in, re, in respect to what I was talking about a few minutes ago with that plant accident. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure they'll relate to that. I'm sure they'll relate to the difficulties of managing the various parties as well. Um, and I think the more prepared that you can be in that respect um then the less of a challenge that situation becomes and that's massively important to have a really really good crisis management plan you know for those sorts of incidents to to know what to do and then for businesses to know you know how to deal with the aftermath of that there's lots of you know all companies have got legal advice and they've, they've got lawyers etc and they're very good these days obviously at, at helping us with with that kind of a, a professional uh, specialist advice in terms of you know, dealing with the aftermath of things like that. But the other side of it is taking another look at the, the mental impact of what happens mm -hmm. and actually being and actually being prepared to run things like those 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 debriefs. You know, yeah. it's it's not counselling as such. It is a debrief, you know, and Gary's oh. always very clear to say it isn't counselling. Mm -hmm. um, it is a debrief. Um, and then, you know, if people do need to seek further support and they need to be signposted to to further support, then, then that's exactly what, what what should happen, and that and that process gives that opportunity for that to happen as well. Excellent, you've got that in place as well. Like I had Kayla on the podcast a few months ago, Kayla yeah. Bergeron, who survived nine eleven. Oh right, she yeah. Said that when they evacuated the towers, and she got out, um, she managed to flag down a police car, and she went. She was a director of uh, public affairs. Yeah. She managed to get to New Jersey and go to the Port Authority's building in New Jersey, oh. and she just began working again. And really? Well, wow. she was evacuating from the towers. She was working on her Blackberry, sending out communications and well escaping from the towers, but they had no debrief whatsoever. Oh. Yeah. And she didn't realise until probably six or seven years later, yeah. um, she started to have a bit of creep with the, the PTSD and she knew something wasn't quite right but she couldn't yeah. put her finger on it and was dampening it with alcohol quite a lot wow. so having that in place you don't know the impact that that could have no. further on down the line with someone yep, so you're absolutely. Yeah. right at the start when they yep. need the help yep. yeah absolutely right yeah absolutely right vital and and it, it's it's something that you know we you know, as I say, we, we just continue to run through periodically. You know, we 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 do we do it. You know, we do regular so that we don't forget how to do it because you never you know you never know when you're going to yep. get the call to say it may not be anything you know huge. It may be something you know um, where people might have seen. Well, I say I say that it might be something that's happened outside the site. 
it may be that a cyclist has been you know knocked over or something like that it might be something where we might need to have a, a chat with a few of the traffic marshals or something you know just to you know just to see if they're okay about what they've seen and and, and if not then you know we're there to to, to to lend that support particularly and again it's all part of that same message was that is that look you know you are you know the most important part of this project is the people who work on it and we need to look after you you know we really need to look after you in every respect and we can't ignore it if somebody's seen something which you know even if it's not life-changing it's, it's something that's enough to you know cause them you know mental discomfort as i as i would call it you know then then we need to be careful we need to be mindful of that mm-hmm. absolutely and we need to look after people absolutely yeah Definitely, definitely. Excellent. Okay, yeah. moving on from there. Um, what advice would you give to someone starting out and health and safety today? So I looked at your notes earlier and I, I typed this very eloquent piece. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was sat here about 10 minutes ago thinking that he's going to ask me that in a minute and I can't remember what I wrote. <laughs> so I, I will refer to it a little bit. But, um, but I remember reading... Uh, SHP or some magazine a long time ago and there was this eminent professional interview with this I, I, I have no idea who, who it was um, but they said make sure it's what you want to do and I thought I agree with that but that's got quite an ominous undertone and it does give the impression that there's no escape and the door's going to slam behind you you know when yeah. you decide to do it so I would probably rephrase it and say something along the lines of it's really about how you can influence others right it's the modern health and safety professional is a business improvement specialist you know Mm. Uh, so it's more important than ever that we balance um the need to have robust processes in place and that they're being implemented with the learning from what's going well and i would say to people don't spend all your time focusing on preparing for a worst case scenario even though i've just talked about it at length don't spend all your time doing that you know uh, and 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 don't focus your management arrangements and what you do on bolstering your legal defense as a company all right mm-hmm. because if it's there it should do that anyway the more we focus on building relationships with suppliers clients and most importantly making our workforce feel respected welcomed and valued the less likely it is we'll need that defense mm-hmm. because safe attitudes and good quality work is far more likely to follow on yeah. You know? So I would say to people, work on being a great communicator and a powerful influencer. Mm-hmm. You know, be self-aware and seek self-improvement in these areas if you're not getting the if you're not getting the traction, you know. Seek self-awareness to 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 understand why not and 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 be self-aware in those situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and for God's sake, use your charisma. You know, if you've got some charisma, use it. Yeah. You know. There's no sense in hiding it away. Be authentic, be approachable, have fun with it, and you'll bring people with you, right? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, you're going to face some very tense, stressful, and frustrating situations. Mm-hmm. Um, but the outcome is down to how you handle yourself and others at the time. And some of the finest people I've worked with in the profession and still continue to work with in the profession continue to do all of those things. That's excellent. Thank you very much for that, Martin. I've actually got a note. And I like to write wee notes on the front of my diary, which goes yep. everywhere with me. Yeah. And one of my notes is E plus R equals O. Event plus response equals outcome. Correct. Absolutely. Yes. Thought you would yeah. like that. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, that is it. That's absolutely so, it. 
Thank you very much on behalf of the viewers and listeners of the Safer Than Your Average podcast for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. It's been a great conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Yep. Thank Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Inside Out Group, the specialists in high-risk and challenging filming and time-lapse, covering health and safety videos for rail, construction and infrastructure projects nationwide.